0: Well, are you ready for the word this morning? Um, oh, I'm excited to share with you. It, it, was, it was funny, as we were in prayer this morning, I felt like you were praying out a lot of the things that I'm going to be sharing today. So no, it's good, it's good. It was just confirmation. It was, it was awesome. Uh, so Easter is just two weeks away, which is crazy to think based on how much snow we still have outside. Um, I'm hoping that we get a wave of like 70 degrees so we don't have to hunt for Easter eggs in the snow makes it a little harder for the kids when they're looking for them in green grass versus white snow. Um, But we're only a few short weeks away, so we're going to continue this week, um, kind of on the March to Easter, and some of the things that the Lord has been putting on my heart uh, to share. So we're going to start. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. We're going to look at verses 5 through 12. If you don't have it, we'll have it up on the screen as well. Um, But turn with me, Isaiah 53 verses 5 through 12. Many of you will know this uh, passage of Scripture. It's very, very um, important to our faith. Um, I'm going to read it out of the uh, New Living Translation, uh, but feel free to follow along in whichever translation you have. It says, But He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people." He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier, because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Amen? Amen. So obviously that's talking about Jesus. Uh, and as we get closer to Easter, um, I really want to start talking about something that uh, you know, Aaron was talking about his week and how the Lord kind of like stirs in you different things. So today I'm going to be talking about forgiveness. And obviously we understand from this passage of Scripture that Jesus came to die to forgive us of our sins. And I talked about last week, you know, we, that's a fundamental truth to our faith. But I want to take it a step further and I want to dig in a little bit more to forgiveness specifically. So what is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? So the, the, the actual definition of forgiveness or to forgive someone is the following. So this is out of the the Merriam-Webster dictionary. So there's two definitions that I want to highlight today. It says to stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense, flaw, or mistake, or to cancel a debt. There's a lot of conversation right right now about student loan debt, forgiving student loan debt, right, canceling a debt. So those are the two definitions, to stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense, flower, or mistake, or to cancel a debt. And I want to ask you a question as we, as we kind of start today. Have you ever been put in a place where you are asked to forgive someone and you don't want to? Again, have you ever been put in a place where you're asked to forgive someone and you don't want to? Maybe that was a parent asking you to forgive your sibling as a child, or maybe it's the Lord asking you to forgive someone and, and you don't want to. So I want to I share a story from this past week, uh, and I'm going to not name names, but you'll probably be able to figure it out. So again, if you don't know, my, I have four, four kids. I have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, a five-year-old now, and a two-year-old. And uh, I, I work from home during the week, and all of a sudden I hear this squirmish happening outside of the door, and Shri was navigating something with the kids, and I pop my head out, I'm like, what's going on? <clears throat> my one child says, the other child threw a snowball at me, hit me in the ear. I go talk to the other child, yeah, she tried to bite me. <laughs> so there's this back and forth between kids. You know what kids are, they're siblings. They get along, but they also have moments of frustration and anger that come out that we have to deal with. So uh, Sheree and I go, and we're, we're navigating this conversation with our kids. And they're old enough now where they understand. It's not like they're little where you're like, I was mad. I, what do I, how do I respond? They know how to control their emotions. So I'm talking to my 7-year-old, and I, I, I said, well, you need to forgive your brother. And she looks at me, and she says, I apologize, but I don't forgive him. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Wow. That's a pretty bold statement to come out of a seven-year-old. And I'm like, why? She's like, I'm mad at him. I don't want to forgive him. I'm sorry, but I'm mad at him. And the Lord just like had this like moment with me where he's like, how often do you do that to people? Where you apologize for something, but in your heart, you don't forgive them. And I say that in, in terms of relationships and friendships or your spouse, where you get upset and you say things that maybe you don't mean and you, you, you end up having this reconciliation moment where you apologize, but then a year down the road when you're having the same conversation, you bring up that previous conversation, right? You keep the list. You did this and you said this and you did this. Have you truly forgiven them? So today I really want to dive into what forgiveness actually is it's so much more than just saying sorry so much more than just saying sorry and in that in that conversation it was actually a really good teachable moment for me as a dad because I could look at my daughter and say that's not how we respond do you want him to forgive you when you make when you make him upset Well, yeah Well, doesn't he deserve the same thing coming from you yeah so do you forgive him? <laughs> I guess. And over the course of the week, it did get better. And I want to ask, why is it so hard for us to forgive sometimes? Maybe you've had somebody that has offended you or, or has caused you hurt or pain. And I want to go through three things about forgiveness that helps answer that. And kind of talk through and look at the word to really help us understand how we can have a heart of forgiveness to where we forgive and we forget that's not something that happens naturally but it does take some time so I'm first looking at and Eliza if you can pull up verse 6 uh, not this one from the from the previous from the, pre, the from Isaiah there we go so if you look at this verse it says all of us like sheep have strayed away we have left God's paths to follow, our own, to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. So the first point I want to make is true forgiveness takes intentionality. It takes intentionality. So when you look at this verse, the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. The Lord had a plan, an intentional plan, to redeem us back to Him. That plan was in Jesus. So if you look at the the start of this verse, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've made mistakes. We've walked away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Then there's the yet. You could change the yet with but. But the Lord laid on Him the sins of us all. So even though we've done all those things, The Lord had a plan, an intentional plan, to bring us back to Him. And that's truly what the message of the cross is. That although we make mistakes, although we do things that are outside of the will of God for our lives, God still forgives us. When you come to know Christ, God forgives you of all your past, present, and future mistakes. It's not something where all of a sudden you come to know Jesus, you walk out the door and you sin. The Lord's like, well, tough beans. He knows from the moment of your salvation what your future is. And yet he still forgives you. Forgiveness takes intentionality. It takes being intentional not only with yourself but with the other person. So, this is an incredible example. God's example of Christ and the plan that He had was so intentional. But what does that look like in our life? So, you have that friend that you're best friends with, and then all of a sudden they wrong you, they betray you, they frustrate you, they upset you. You have to be intentional about forgiving them, you have to constantly renew your mind about that person. Because the enemy wants to come in and say, well, they did that to you. You should be upset about that. You should be angry about it. But it takes you being intentional with how your thoughts are about that person and seeing them the way that God sees them. So when you look at the history of the Bible, if you look at the Old Testament versus the New Testament, the Lord had always in, ten, always in His plan had an intentional plan for forgiveness. He had established the law through Moses, and that plan worked to convict the Israelites of their sin, to show them where they had gone wrong. But it wasn't a true long-term plan for forgiveness. Every year they would have to go and cleanse themselves. Only certain people, priests, could do that for them. There was no way that an individual person could come into right standing with God. So his plan of forgiveness had to be intentional. That's why Jesus came. And we know that when you look at John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You don't think that from the beginning that was God's plan all along? It was an intentional plan, right? It had an order. There was intentionality to it. And the thing is is even in our earthly ways forgiving someone we're still going to make mistakes. We're going to forgive that person and then we're going to get frustrated about that person again. And then we're going to have to forgive them again, forgive them and forgive them right? It's this process. The beauty of the gospel is that it's a one and done. God forgives you and he forgives you. Right? He forgives you and forgives you. And again, that doesn't mean we're not going to make mistakes. That doesn't mean that we're not going to have to come back and go, "Ah, oh, I screwed up." and be aware of our sin. but We don't want to be sin conscious. We want to be conscious of the grace that God has given us. Again, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be aware of doing everything that we can to push towards the mark that God has set before us. But knowing that our foundation isn't law, but it's grace, pushes us and pushes us towards that. Ephesians 4.32, Eliza, if you want to pull that one up. It says instead be kind to each other tender-hearted forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you Be kind tender-hearted forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you Being intentional about forgiveness reminds yourself of the forgiveness that God has given you It's really hard to receive a gift if you can't give that gift back right We all receive the gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness. It's our responsibility to give that back to one another. God created a way for us not to only be forgiven, but to also be an example of what forgiveness looks like. Think about it. You're in a work meeting. Somebody on your team throws you under the bus. Anybody ever been there where you get (laughs) blindsided and you're like, Whoa, where did that come from? definitely happened to me on multiple times how you respond in that situation takes intentionality your flesh wants to say "Ah, why would you do that exactly it's not fair why I don't understand I wanna be mad at you and when you don't do that when you don't respond in that way when you respond with a heart of hey you made a mistake it's okay I forgive you and then you let it go that person goes I didn't deserve that the people I'm with will go I didn't deserve that Wow that's impressive I want what that person has I want to be able to forgive that person and what they have And that brings me to the second point so true forgiveness takes intentionality and true forgiveness forgets so I'll, I'll just be a little vulnerable here when Shri and I first were married this seems like an eternity ago, but when we were first married, uh, especially the first year of marriage. Uh, you know, everyone talks about the first year of marriage and how it can be tough. It's challenging, you know. You're, you're bringing two lives together, and uh, we had a lot of arguments about very silly things, like toothpaste and, you know, all of the, pretty much what you would think of in the first year of marriage, you'd argue about, you'd argue about. And then a few years down the road, we would find ourselves bringing up those things in conversation when we would get frustrated with the other well you used to do this you did this or you said this and at, at the moment we would you know after that argument the first time we would say oh i forgive you i'm really sorry but obviously we hadn't forgiven them from that situation and over time we have grown together as a couple where that isn't an issue anymore but true forgiveness forgets the wrong that happened Romans 8 chapter 1. If you want to pull that one up, Eliza, it says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Anne was praying this during prayer this morning. Oh. <laughs> I had to chuckle. Um, and we hear we you know we hear this verse often when it when it in relation to our relationship with Christ. But oftentimes many people don't know what condemnation actually means. So condemnation means remembering. Feeling shame for things you have done in your past. To condemn, so the root root word means to pronounce to be guilty, to sentence to punishment, or to pass judgment against. Have you ever felt condemned? Right? All of us, the enemy throws or tries to throw condemnation at you. Condemnation comes from one place. That's That's the devil. He is the one. He is the condemner. He wants to get you to to continue to think in old thought patterns. You make a mistake, I'm not good enough. You fall away, you're not good enough. God doesn't love you anymore. That's his job. His job is to try and get you to focus on your old man before Jesus. God will never condemn us when we are in Christ. He will convict us. And there's a clear differentiation between condemnation and conviction. He will convict us and say, hey, that's not a good choice. Don't do that. But he's never going to condemn us. He's not going to say, because you made that choice, see you later. It's not how he works. He's forgiven us again of our past, present, and future sin. He didn't die on the cross so that way we could come to know him and then still have to struggle through the rest of our life. No, he died on the cross, so that way we could be free from sin for the rest of our lives. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? A new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So when the enemy tries to condemn you, remember, your old life is gone. It's gone. Not like still hanging out. It's gone. Like in the incinerator, gone, gone. It doesn't, you, can't, you can't get it back. It's ash. And a new life has started. It's a fresh start. A clean slate, right? A clean slate. There's nothing to remember from the past, only to look forward to the future. And that's the beauty of true forgiveness from God, is He forgets. He will never condemn you. When you are in Christ, He doesn't keep a record of all the wrongs. He doesn't have a notepad and say, "Well, wow, you sinned seven times today." Right? You sinned seven times today? No. He will convict you when you are making poor decisions, and I want to make that that differentiation because it's important. Because oftentimes we think, "Well, I can keep on sinning; the Lord's never going to care." That's not the that is not the case. He wants us to continue to draw closer and closer and closer to Him and have a revelation of His love so deep that when we do make mistakes, that we're like, whoa, I'm I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make the right decision. I'm going to do something else, right? He will convict us when we are making poor choices. Again, that doesn't come from a spirit of condemnation. Shame, 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 shame. Wave His finger at you. No. It's like a loving father where you see your child going to do something that's maybe not a good decision, and you walk up and say, hey, maybe you shouldn't do that, right? Our kids are young. They're obsessed with fire. I don't know where it comes from. Maybe it's, maybe it's me. I don't know. Uh, obsessed with fire. We have a fireplace in our basement, and Graham, who's nine, likes to start fires. In the winter, he loves to have a wood, a wood burning fire. And there's been a few times this winter where we've kind of maybe let him dabble. Just try and figure it out. And then you walk down and you're like, what's going on? What did you do? There was one time he forgot to open the flute, so the basement filled with smoke. It was not good, right? It was terrible. So then you're opening the windows and you're, 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 then you talk to him like, okay, what should you have done? Oh, I should have checked here. Exactly. What are you going to do in the future? I'm going to check there make sure it's open. me. Perfect. Another time he started a fire with maybe not great paper to burn. And then it's really made our house smell really bad. Okay, next time. what? So it's like a loving father. You're not upset that he wanted to try and do this. But you are going to correct him and say, hey, next time, do this. Next time, do that. Because God loves us so much, he wants to see us successful. And if you ever taught anyone or led anyone or you have kids, as a parent, you want to see your child be successful. And sometimes that means correcting them when they make a wrong choice. I feel like I do that all the time, every day. And that's okay. I love my kids just as much. And that's never going to change. I'm going to help them be successful. Another example of, of truly forgetting When you forgive, how many of you grew up in the era of chalkboards in schools? Before all this dry erase and fancy technology. So, when I was a kid, I grew up uh, in Ellsworth, Wisconsin, small town. I went to the public school, and there was always, you know, every student almost had like chores that you had to do. And one of the chores was slapping. Slapping the erasers, right? And you'd go out, you'd be covered in chalk dust. But it was always fun because it was a a way that you got out of something else that maybe you didn't want to do. And then you'd come in, you're like, okay, they're clean. And you'd look at them, you're like, these are not clean. Like there's still a ton of chalk dust. There was no way to ever get all of the chalk dust out of the erasers. And then you would go to erase something, and you'd see all of the remnants of the chalk dust, right? It was never clean except for that one time your teacher would get a rag and a soapy water and they would wash the chalkboard. And you're like, whoa, that's, that was really dirty. It's really clean. But then as soon as you use it the first time and you erase something, that chalk, chalk dust comes back and it's not clean again. True forgiveness is not like that. You might go, oh, I forgive you, and you, you wash it. But there's still remnants of that situation that make you go, oh, every time you come back to it, you see it, you understand it. True forgiveness is not like that. It's like every single time the Lord puts a new chalkboard up. A new chalkboard. New eraser. There's nothing left from the past. Nothing left. It's only brand new. It's brand new. His mercies are new every morning. So there's no remnant of the past. When He forgives you, He truly forgets. The last point that I want to make, the the third one, is true forgiveness requires love. Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. None of us are perfect people. None of us. If you, spent, if you like could watch a week in the life of the Virk's home, you'd be like, whoa, what's going on? We're not perfect people. But true, true forgiveness, when you forgive someone for doing the wrongs, you don't care that they're not a perfect person. You make allowance for that. You understand that everyone's not perfect. And I want to make sure that I delineate two things. Forgiving someone and truly forgiving someone is Forgetting. And I think that's important. I think you also learn as a human being, right? So if you're put in a situation, you're like, oh, that's not good. I forgive that person. But then you put yourself back into the same situation. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result, right? When we forgive someone, we also need to learn and go, "Okay, that didn't work out that way. I'm going to forgive that person. But I'm going to try it a different way this time. Yeah. Just like when you're teaching your kids. You forgive someone, that's great. But then you understand, I'm not going to try it that way. I'm going to try it a different way. I'm going to go a different route. I'm going to pivot, right? I'm going to pivot. I wasn't a big, uh, 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 I didn't watch Friends growing up. But there was, there's a scene where they're trying to get a couch up the stairs. And Ross, I guess, is yelling, pivot because the couch needed to pivot around the stairs we need to pivot we need to be able to make adjustments we forgive we forget we love that person but we probably choose a different route the next time right how many of you have ever done road trips right you go on a road trip the first time you really don't know what you're getting into we're doing that next month when we travel to Texas with uh, my four kids pray for me um, it's gonna be a fun time but the first time you do it, you don't know what you're getting yourself into And then you go and you're like, okay, that didn't work, and that didn't work, and this didn't work. The next time, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to remember this, or I'm going to make sure there's snacks to feed them for five days, whatever it may be, you're going to do that. You learn to pivot and adjust. And as Christians, we need to be able to do that. We need to have the discernment to understand, I'm going to forgive in this situation, but I'm going to move, and I'm going to try it a different way next time, right? 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 True forgiveness requires that we see people the same way that Jesus sees them, through the eyes of love. When God sent Jesus to this earth to die for us, he made one final atonement for our sin, one final sacrifice, and it was because he loved us so much. He loved us so much. And true forgiveness requires us to understand that love. Once you have an understanding of that love, the faults that you see in in each other, in other people, in other people, you start to see them, instead of seeing their fault, you see compassion. Instead of saying, wow, why are they doing that? That's so wrong. You start to see them through the eyes of grace. Man, if that person just knew Jesus, how their life would be so different. Instead of judging them, you see an opportunity. And you go, man, I just I want want them to know Jesus. And all of us need to understand and receive that. We need to receive that love. And realistically, that's a daily thing. Renew your mind every single day. God sees us when we're in Christ. He sees us as fully forgiven. Fully forgiven means that we are set free from the bondage of sin. And if there's anything in your life that you feel like is holding you down, God wants to take that from you. He doesn't want you to live in this space of regret and remorse and pain. and He doesn't want you to stay there. He's forgiven you, truly forgiven you of all of those things. He did that when he died on Golgotha, when he hung on that cross. In, uh, in the book of Matthew, I was just reading this during worship. Peter asks Jesus, how many times should I forgive this person? Seven times? Jesus' response is, 77 times. Many times. 70 times 7, yes. I don't know about you, but that's hard the same person doing the same thing over and over and over to you and the lord's telling you that you need to forgive them over and over and over again and then jesus tells a parable of a man that had a servant that couldn't repay his debts and and the the master forgives the debts then the the servant goes and tries to collect debts that were owed to him and puts these other people that were owing debts in bondage and then the, the original master finds out about it and is upset. If God forgave us of our sin, we need to truly forgive others of the wrongdoings that they do, whether that's to someone else or to me. Many of you know that I, I lead a, a work Bible study um, throughout the week. And this week we actually were talking about a similar topic. And um, one of the guys in our group had shared a story about a time when he had to forgive somebody and he was sharing how uh, his sister was in a relationship with a man that treated her very poorly and they ended up getting a divorce and he's like I he's like I did not like him like I was afraid that if I actually met him in person that I would tell him off or I would you know like just do something that isn't Christ-like And he's like it took me a long time to get to the point of forgiving that person and when we're in Christ and we understand the forgiveness and the love that God's given us, it doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy. But that's the example. That's the standard. I'm sure many of you have heard of, of situations where somebody is on trial for committing murder or something of, of that nature. A horrible crime. And it's it, you know the sentencing is done and they always give the family an opportunity to say something when it's done. And sometimes you'll hear someone in that You know, in the family, you know, oftentimes it's, I'm so upset, I don't love all these things. But sometimes you hear somebody say, I forgive you. I forgive you. And that can be the greatest gift that you can give anyone. When they wrong you, and that's an extreme example, but we all go through situations in our life where somebody offends us, somebody miscommunicates, somebody doesn't share any of that. And it's our choice then how we're going to respond. Do we forgive them for what they've done wrong? Or do we hold that against them? Anne shared it during prayer. If you don't forgive someone, oftentimes it starts to grow bitterness inside of you. That bitterness turns to rage, it turns to hate. And now we are hating somebody that God has called us to love. Not good. And you'd be surprised, not only does that take a, a seed of bitterness in our lives, but it also changes our demeanor, right? It changes how we respond. You know, it makes you just so like, oh, it just gets this yucky feeling in, your, in yourself when that situation either comes up or you see that person or whatever it looks like. Uh, for us to truly forgive, we need to first understand that we have been truly forgiven from God. That's what the Easter story is all about. Jesus came to die on the cross to forgive us. That was why he was sent. That was God's intentional plan. He doesn't remember our faults. He forgets them. And he loves us unconditionally. I want to close with this last verse before I invite Aaron back up to to, uh, wrap us up with communion. Jesus says this in John chapter 15, verse 13. Many of you know this. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus did that for us because he loves us so incredibly much. So incredibly much. Don't forget that. Don't forget how much you've been forgiven and how much you are loved by God. Aaron's got a baby in hand.